have a seat, sit back. We're going to pray, so sit all the way back and leave your coffee on the floor for the moment. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, author of life, bind us to one another in your spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For no man is an island. No one goes to heaven all by theirself, Lord. You designed us for one another, for compassion and care, and for dependence rather than independence. O God, convict us of our sin, of thinking we can do life all by ourselves. O Lord, in your mercy, O Lord, may each of us come out of hiding into your light and salvation. May we be forgiven our sin, dismissed of our guilt, and friendship melt our shame. Lord, in your mercy. Our Jesus, may your church, the gathered ones, exemplify what all humans are charged with doing. Bind up the brokenhearted, gather the downtrodden and the poor, Share with those who have less. Drink from one cup. Eat from one loaf. Laugh and cry. Work and play. Learn and do. And then and then sit at your feet and pray, Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Our one God, the great community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may we too be one with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is... One body, one spirit, just as we were all called to the one hope of our calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all, in the name of the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a good moment. You hate to interrupt a moment like that. But we are going to carry that theme of the Lord slowing us down, the Lord bringing us clarity. So uh, let's just stay in that mode of hearing from God about making some room in his life, uh, room in our life for him. I was a biologist by training, taught high school biology in the career, a couple of careers before this one. We learned a lot about herds in biology, the benefits of being in a herd. A herd brings you increased vigilance, right? More eyes to look for danger. A herd helps you evade predators, whereas the predator would normally just chase a single animal until caught. When you're in a herd, you can all kind of move around and your movements can uh, confuse the predator and hopefully they won't catch you. You also have some power that you didn't have before when you're in a herd, whereas a single wildebeest can't do much against a lion Hundred wildebeests can hold their own well enough. It also increases your uh, likelihood of finding others like yourself to, you know, start families and that that sort of thing. Because you're all always traveling together. So herds are good for cows and antelope and and wildebeest. Um, but humans, we tend to want a little more from our surroundings than what a herd brings. We want things like to be known as the person that we are and uh, to be loved as an individual, uh, to be celebrated for the things that have happened. For all those things, you need family. Now, a church our size 
works a little more like a herd, right? How many of you flocked in here at the sound of the drums this morning? This is more telling. How many of you didn't hear the drums, but since everyone else moved this way, you moved this way too? Yeah, because the increased vigilance of the herd told you that church was starting, although you had missed it, right? That's herd behavior. Herd behavior will happen again, in the, especially in the second service, on your way out, right? As you're all swept toward the door. Have you ever tried to stop and talk to an individual you see going down the aisle, and you feel the pressure of the herd pushing you toward the door, and your, your choice is either to, you know, just give it up or step out into the aisle, you know, and try to have a conversation. That's herd behavior. Now, there are some good things about being a herd-sized church. For instance, when a herd-sized church sets out to raise money, we normally raise enough to do something quite good with, and a lot of different things too. So that's, the, that's a fun thing of being in a herd-sized church. Um, there's also a lot more, uh, well, when we try to do something fun, right? We can usually put together something that's kind of big enough to be a little extra fun. Think of the voice a thing that we did. We had food. It really only worked because, right, we had a big enough herd to make an audience, and we had a big pool of artists to draw from. We had like 12 really talented singers to pick from. You, the church I grew up in, we didn't have one talented singer in the whole bunch. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, let's just leave that alone. So, um, so, yeah, herd church also gives you lots of eyes on the world, right? Because of the congregation's size that it is, we have eyes on the Anapra community outside Walrez, Mexico, eyes on the persecuted church of China, eyes on Liberia. We were able to uh, respond when the Ebola epidemic happened, eyes on refugees, eyes on the homeless, eyes on all this stuff because it's a herd. So those are good things. Those are good things about being in a herd-sized church. But a herd-sized church has some downside too, doesn't it? For instance, if it's your birthday today or this week, you kind of have this moment where you're like, I bet no one in this whole giant room knows that. Or if you graduated and you got your degree and you're so excited and you come in and, and no one here knows that about you, who would celebrate that? Maybe the preacher would stand and tell a story about a soldier who had put their faith into action and deployment. And you think, oh, I was a soldier. I saw stories like that. I have a story to tell, but no one even knows you're a soldier, much less knows that you have a story. Or I told a story about healing and you think, oh, I'm a doctor, a nurse. I see God work in my office all the time, but no one knows that about you. No one hears that story. Or maybe you're sick. And who would know that? Man, we need a family. And, and this just isn't set up to work that way. In fact, the most known person in the room right now is me, right? Because I'm talking. I've been talking for six weeks. I tell all these stories. You all know my wife. You know my kids. You know my Star Wars stuff. What do I know about you? Not, not nearly as much. It's not very two-way. I would love it if we went to play mini golf. We went to have dinner, right? We'd get to know each other better. So, so let's do that. So if I started scheduling dinner, because of the size of the herd, I could have dinner with each of you one time a year. And if on the night that you and I's time came up, you were sick or I wasn't feeling well or something happened, we'd have to reschedule. Couldn't reschedule it for any faster than one year from that date. Oh, man. This just doesn't work as a family. A solution for every herd-sized church like us who values having family has been to have a strong small groups ministry. That's been the 
and is the answer to the herd-sized church. So have you guys all heard about the small groups ministry? Small groups are normally about three to ten people. That's what makes it a small group. They meet in homes usually through the week. Some come back here and meet at the church building. Uh, I have a Tuesday morning group that meets for breakfast at a local restaurant. They usually gather once a week. Some small groups gather every other week. Uh, They usually meet in seasons. Now, some define their season as year-round through the summer and everything, and that's what they do. works for them. Some meet through the school year times, but not in the summer. Some intend to meet through the summer, but actually don't. Uh, And then there's like my Monday night small group that meets six weeks in the winter, six weeks in the spring, six weeks in the fall. Works, Works good for us. So they usually meet for about 90 minutes. Some meet only an hour. Some meet for two hours. But during that intentional time they have made for each other, they, they care for one another, they teach one another, they challenge one another. You've heard many stories up here, you'll hear some more today, where people say the real spiritual growth they sought in church actually happened in the church small group settings. Have you heard about redemptive communities here at Lakeland. Redemptive communities function pretty much just like small groups, except they're not small. They tend to be 10 people or larger, and they usually gather around a cause. So we have redemptive communities gathered around the cause of serving the persecuted church in China, or the cause of serving the uh, community of Anapra in Juarez, Mexico. We have one welcoming the stranger that helps immigrants, uh, come and to integrate into our society as working, productive members of, of, our, of our culture. We have one called Mercy Street on Saturdays to help us overcome hurts, habits, and hang-ups through the Christian 12 Steps. Um, there's another one. I don't know what it is yet. It's 55 and older folks. It's definitely more than 10 people. I don't know if it's a redemptive community or a really big group, but it's just starting. We'll slap a label on it a little further down the road, but it's something that's happening. So, Small group now, or redemptive community, is family. This is where you are known. Now someone will say to you, last week during the message, the pastor said something about a soldier who put their faith into action. You used to be a soldier. Did you ever see anything like that? Because they know you. And you'll tell your story, and now you'll be even more known. Now you're loved. You know, if you don't show up in this room for six months, six months, It's easy for me and others to assume we just haven't run into you. Six months, but it's easy for us to assume, well, it's a big herd. Maybe we just haven't bumped into them in the lobby. Maybe they're going to second service instead of first now. You're gone, but we didn't notice because the herd size. You miss small group two weeks in a row, people notice. And they call you, and they see how you're doing and what's going on. If you're sick, they pray for you. Now you can be celebrated. Now you have people who know that you applied for a new job and they can see if you got it. Now there are people who know that you are entering finals week and they can say, you graduated, hooray. Now they know that you're entering a tournament. They can ask, did you win? They might even go to your competition. Everything we came seeking in church actually happens in the church's small groups setting. So here to share... um, his story of, of exactly what we're talking about, the herd and the family, is uh, one of my new favorite people and friend. So let's welcome uh, Randy Boltman. Thank you. 
My name is Randy Boltman, and this is my story. I'm not the most social person in the world. I've always been that way. I kind of keep distant, quiet to myself. My wife, Mary, on the other hand, is the outgoing one. So it's probably not a coincidence. <laughs> Can I? That God started this process with her. A few years ago, at the end of every week, before they would leave the office, Kim Shirk would extend an invitation to join her and Fred at church service on Sunday. Every week, we, or better I, had something better to do. Then one Friday, Mary came home and told me she thought she would go. Oh, crud, I thought. Maybe she will change her mind. Maybe I can convince her not to go. But on Sunday, she was up and getting ready. She said, I'd really hate to go by myself. I just kind of shook my head, and, and in defeat, I went, oh, okay, I'll go this time. So we walked through the doors the very first time and immediately felt overdressed. I met Kim and Fred, and they said, it's come as you are, and just be comfortable. Okay, next time, if there is a next time. So after meandering in the lobby and getting coffee, we sit down. The band starts. I will never forget the song they first played that Sunday. It was Philip Phillips' Home. I didn't really feel anything. I was just there. Little did I realize at that moment a tiny spark ignited. But I did, didn't have a clue, and that was 2012. I would continue to come to church with Mary. We eventually became members. I felt like I was just going through the motions. I knew I wanted something more out of church, but I didn't know what it was. I was hurting but didn't know it. But I began to truly listen to the music and sermons and the message. Then I found myself asking Mary, what service do you want to go to on Sunday, early or late? Was that question actually coming from my mouth? I was starting to enjoy church, actually looking forward to it, but I still didn't feel it. Whatever I was searching for or whatever was searching for me still seemed to be just out of my grasp. So last fall, 2015, Mary came home one evening and said she signed us up for a small group. Are you kidding me? I wanted nothing to do with it. At that, as the time drew closer to the first meeting of the group, I told her I really wasn't interested, and she told me, well, I'm going, and since it's a couples group, I sure will look silly going by myself. Oh, boy. Okay, I'll go this time and see how it is. I hated it. I, <laughs> I have better things to do with my time, I thought. So it went week after week. I kept showing up. Something, I wasn't sure what it was, was pushing me to go. Things began to change for me. I started enjoying our small group. I was looking forward to going and visiting with others and discussing the subject for that week. I picked upon a challenge that one person in our small group was doing for Lent. It was called the 30-Day K-Love Challenge. And I've never really listened to Christian music radio, but I'm still listening to this day. Thank you, Monica. I lost my spot. Okay. It was unbelievable, and I really indescribable. These folks became my people, a part of my family, sharing our joys, our sorrows, or just stuff we deal with every day. We care for each other. We pray for each other. I am proud to call them my friends. 
I never would have guessed these train of events helped change my life. Then it finally hit me like a ton of bricks. The spark that was started four years ago grew. My spiritual dormancy eroded. God was the one that was grasping for me, and he lifted me up. It wasn't like the flash of light I was hoping for, but better, for I was able to look back and trace this journey and appreciate every experience and every person along the way. I'm Randy Boltman, and this is my story. It's a good story. We want that story for everyone. This church is large enough to be a herd, but not large enough to be a mega church. And that means that we are at a painful size because we don't have hundreds of small groups available to meet every possible schedule and stage of life. And when a leader tries to start a small group, we don't have thousands of people, and so it may not automatically fill. That means uh, that we have to be careful at our size. We can unintentionally hurt one another trying to form family and giving out the hope of family. You know, because in a church our size, if someone doesn't happen to offer a group for people my age, my gender, my marital family status at a time I can attend, I can feel like there's not a place for me. We can hurt each other if we aren't careful. As a small group leader, if I see that need and I try to fill that, oh, I'll offer a group for that age, that gender, that marital status, that day of the week, and then no one signs up for it, I can feel personally rejected. I tried to offer a gift to the community and no one wanted it. So if we aren't careful, we can hurt one another. So I want to share a couple of solutions for the rest of our morning to being a herd-sized church that's not a mega church that values family for how we can have family and offer it in a way that we don't unintentionally hurt one another. So generally speaking, there are two types of folks in a small group, the leader or a couple of leaders and the members. Now, no one in our culture anymore wants to be called a leader of anything. Because, you know, that just sounds like too much fuss, too much bother, too much responsibility, too much hairspray. So no one wants to be a leader of anything. But, you know, there's no great mystique about who the leader is. There's always one. It's the one who's holding the thing together. Your family reunion every year has a leader, right? One relative who, if they quit putting this thing on, it's all going to fall apart. So whoever's holding it all together, that's the leader. And there's not a great mystique about what it takes to be the leader. In my estimation, the leader is the person who says five things. All right, here are the five things that a small group leader says. First thing a small group leader says is, here's what we'll be doing in the group. They pick the topic and the format. Now, a lot of leaders mess up right here because they get a group of people they like together, and then they send out this email that says, well, what's everybody want to do? And they get like eight different responses, right? And then you pick the one that at least two people agreed on, and it's something you're not passionate about, and your group's super boring because it wasn't something you were excited about. You were just trying to serve everyone. It was a valiant thing, but it doesn't work that way. 
People are attracted to passion. So if you're passionate about reading this author, if you make a small group about it, even people who don't know who that author is will sign up for that group because you're so passionate about it. If you're passionate about prayer or serving this community overseas, or uh, there's someone starting a small group up who they're passionate about learning survival skills, and then they want to do Bible study while they're out there eating acorns and you know, being naked and afraid or whatever it's going to turn into. But um, the Christian version, fig leaves and afraid. So um, (laughs) stay on the script. All right. So what I'm trying to say is they're so passionate about it. People who don't care about survival at all are going to end up in this Bible study because this guy's so passionate about it. That's what leaders do. They say, here's what we're going to be doing. Next thing that leaders say, second thing is, here's the day and time the group will be meeting. Here's the day and time we'll be meeting. Now, here's where a lot of small groups go off the tracks, is you'll send out this email. You'll say, well, when does everyone want to meet? And then you get all these responses back, and what you realize is, oh, my gosh, there's not a single time everyone in this group can get together. Lots of small groups form but never actually meet even one time because of that email. Rather, what a leader says is, we're going to meet Tuesdays at 645. Now, what you'll find is, even though none of those people would have sent you an email that said Tuesday at 6.45, once you proclaim it, they all make a little shift, a little negotiation, a little trade of this for that, and 90% of them are available Tuesday at 6.45, actually. So the leader says, here's the day and time we'll be meeting. One time, I honestly didn't care between Monday and Tuesday, and I did send an email that said Monday or Tuesday, but it was narrowed down to that. That's fine. I guess. All right. Here's the third thing that all leaders say. Catch this one, leaders. Now it's time to start. Because here's the dynamic, right? Everybody arrives at your house or the host house, and they're all chatting and talking. And then you as a leader go, gosh, everybody's having so much fun. I'd hate to interrupt all this fun conversation so we can read a book. Or I'd hate to interrupt this conversation so we could pray or pack these meals for these college kids. Everyone in that group wants you to interrupt and start this thing because they're all being social and stuff. In the back of their mind, they're all thinking, I came here to read this book. I read my chapter. I'm ready to talk. I came here to pray. I hope this small group leader at 645 is going to say, okay, let's get rolling. That's what they want you to do. They're not going to come in quietly and fold their hands like the kids and leave it to Beaver and wait, you know, now it's time to begin. They're just going to chat it up and they want you to say, now it's time to start. Let's all practice being small group leaders. Now it's time to start. Good. A little clap sometimes gets everyone's attention too, I found. All right. So uh, the third thing all leaders say, oh, uh, fourth thing, fourth thing, now it's time to stop. Okay, same thing. you got a good group, then everybody's going to be really engaged in conversation, right? And a, and a small group leader who's not experienced will think, well, I hate to be the wet blanket now that it's going good and say, okay, everybody get out of my house. So you just sit there and let them talk. And all small group leaders are blessed with at least one member whose stories are very long. All right? But here's what everybody, everybody in your group is thinking. I hope it's at 8.15 they say it's over. I hope they say stop now. Because they're thinking, I sacrificed a lot to be here. I love these people. I love this stuff. But the only thing that got me out of the house was I thought, I'll be home at 845. That's, I can do that load of laundry then. <clears throat> you don't cut that thing off. You let it run to 830, 845, 9, 915. They're not going to come back next week. Because they can't trust anymore that they'll ever get home again. <laughs> right? And so, and so what you'll say is, this is a great discussion we're having. That's a great story. Why don't we pick right up there when we come back next week? Because now it's time to go. And everyone inside will say, Amen. All right. So 
And the fifth thing that all small group leaders say is, yes, we're still meeting tonight. We don't cancel. Okay, that comes in answer to this phone call. Hey, there's four couples and one of them can't come. Are we meeting tonight? Answer, yes, we're meeting tonight. We don't cancel. It's worth it for these three couples. Here's a call you'll get. All the other couples are going to be gone except for just you and I. Are we still meeting tonight? Yes, we're still meeting tonight. We don't cancel. Some of my best small groups have been with just one other member showed up one time. And you talk about family, then we really get to go deep and really get the talk. It also communicates we're totally worth it. It also, sometimes those people who kind of weren't going to come find out, oh, I did get the grass cut and now here I am anyway. So once a small group starts canceling, people start being gone more and more and uh, canceling becomes a habit. You pretty much, once you start canceling, you've lit the fuse on your small group, it'll blow up in about six weeks. So um, don't do that. Don't do that. Just, it's worth it even just for one person. They are totally worth it. So let's review the five things that small group leaders say. They say, here's what we'll be doing in our group, our topic and format. Here's what time we'll be meeting. Now it's time to start. All right, everyone, now it's time to stop. And yes, we're still meeting. If you can do that, you have what it takes to hold a group of people together and make family out of a herd. Next solution that we're going to need for leaders is in a herd-sized church is a little bit thicker skins as a leader. Sometimes you'll start a group. Oh, sorry, you'll offer a group and no one will sign up for it. That's not on you. You made a good offering. You were faithful to God's call. Um, it's just a herd-sized church that's not a mega church and they don't all fill up. It's not on you. Sometimes you'll start a group and people will show up a little bit and then they may all quit. They may all quit. You can ask for feedback. It might be good to get some feedback because maybe they'll say, well, you let your cat waller all over us and we told you we were allergic to cats. So, you know, you'll learn in small group training, always put your pets and noisy children away for a small group. But, um, but maybe it won't be that. They all just quit coming. That's not on you either. That's not on you either. Maybe they're just valuing other things in life. I'm not saying they're making a wise choice, but, but you did by trying to offer family, and they just weren't ready to accept that, and God still smiles on you for trying, and he might even have a little bit of a, well, welcome to my world, you know, I, I've tried to offer a few things throughout human history that weren't taken so well, so uh, now you're stand one with Christ. Um, I had a friend once who, who started, I, I talked him into it, he constantly reminds me, I said, Could, we got a bunch of these 20-year-old guys, some are just Christians, some are almost there, but not quite. Would you make a small group for them? And he told me he didn't want to, but he did it out of duty to God. All right, so over the course of one season, he had like eight of these guys, and they all flaked out, all eight. Some uh, were just went mentally deranged and did crazy stuff. Some just disappeared in the night and moved to California. They were just gone. And so all eight gone by the end of the season. And, uh, and that, that was not on him. He made an offering to a bunch of young men who needed it. They weren't in a place where they could receive it. But it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. He took a breath, took a breather, and then he came back and started another small group uh, months to a year later. And uh, this time he focused on some older guys more like himself. He said the five things. And uh, that group's been meeting for like eight years now. I, I think you've heard four of my stories in eight years from, of the, from guys who are in that group. So let's, uh, let's make offerings to people. Let's give folks a chance to have a family. But let's have a, a thicker skin that we won't be hurt if no one bites. Because all we can do is offer. 
And, and not every church, not every group in a church our size will fill up just because we offer it. So we'll just prepare ourselves for that. I want to invite Kim Shirk to come. Kim Shirk has a story to share. She's actually Randy's small group leader that you heard a little bit about. So let's welcome Kim. My name is Kim Shirk, and this is my story. I grew up in Wyoming, the oldest of four children in a strong, faithful Christian home. My family was my first tribe, followed shortly thereafter by the church. Wyoming was a wonderful place to grow up as there was limited exposure to the real world. We had one TV station, one radio station in the town of 5,000 people where I was primarily raised. Our life wasn't problem free, but our family was happy and healthy. As we grow, our tribe quickly converts to our friends and we don't always make the best choices for ourselves. I had some time periods when I was less connected to the church, but I feel that my initial foundation was formative and essential to who I am today. It wove a thread throughout my life where I have always felt connected to God, and even when I would wonder, I still felt tethered to Christ and knew that he was there for me. I belonged to Campus Life, or Youth for Christ, in high school and was active in leadership in a Christian youth weekend retreat throughout the state of Wyoming. I continued to join small group settings in college and was active in student ministry on, cap on campus at KU, Rock Talk. Sharing life with others is the only way that I have been able to get through challenging and hard times in my life. I met my amazing husband, Fred and Lawrence, and we've been married for almost 33 years. I was a very young bride. We have had so many blessings in our life, but as many really tough times. During the first years of our marriage, we attended church, but not on a regular basis. We weren't connected and didn't belong to a small group, unless you count our friends at West Coast Saloon. We struggled. We lost our son, Seth, at 32 weeks, and I struggled with depression. We had Nicole move to South Carolina and had infertility issues. Fred's mom had ovarian cancer, and we had two miscarriages, and then we were blessed with our daughter, Caitlin. My mother-in-law, Sue, whom I was very close to, died shortly after Caitlin was born, and we moved back to the Midwest. Once here, we became very active in church in small groups. Our third daughter, another miracle, Bailey, was born. Life still has not been easy, but it was definitely more manageable walking through difficult times with others, leaning in on God and having a support system that is there through thick and thin, making a huge difference in our lives. My dad passed away five years ago, and that has been one of the most difficult times of my life. Without Lakeland and my close connection with the people here that cared for me, listened to me, nurtured me, and just loved me through this difficult time, I don't think I could have made it. I felt like I was drowning, but my tribe, my people, kept reaching for me, and they would not let me sink. 
In those moments of deep despair, someone would call or reach out to me. I felt that the love and the connection to others got me through that difficult time and many others. You can also have that connection, belonging and love. You too can have your tribe or lead a tribe. Jesus took the disciples and had them lead others to him. They didn't have any special training. In fact, they were broken, like you and me, but they were willing to lead. My husband and I are small group leaders, and we lead an amazing group of couples fondly called The Gathering. The reason that small group or my tribe are so important to me in my life includes the following. Number one, I feel more connected to others in Christ. I am praying for the people in my group on a daily basis. My group members encourage me to stay connected to the Lord by their practices, actions, and stories. Two, I am more connected to my husband and my family. Sharing life with others allows me to hear sto real stories about other people's lives, and I know I'm not on this journey alone. Other people struggle too. Three, I have an opportunity to hang out with people I enjoy spending time with. We eat together, laugh, and do fun things. We can let our masks down and be our real selves. They encourage me and inspire my soul. Four, we serve others. We volunteer to send out the cards to visitors each week. We love providing that ministry of welcoming people to our community. We pray for the visitors every week that they will find a church home, whether it's Lakeland or somewhere else. Five, I know that people will be there for me if I fall. They'll be there for me either in person or by prayer. This is my tribe, my people, my group. I know that if I need something that they can help, they'll do what they can. They support me and I support them. We're all valuable in, God, in God's eyes. You may have a gift yet to be discovered, or you may feel a need in your group that is waiting for what you bring to the table. The Lord wants all of us to be part of community. So please join a group or lead a group. Lakeland isn't a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. Be in community. You belong even if you don't realize it yet. My name is Kim Shirk, and this is my story. Thank you, Kim. Remember, our goal is to be part of a church family and offer it in a way that we don't accidentally hurt one another. So I have a few other corrections. These uh, surround those of us who will be group members. The first thing we need to remember is that this is a family with people in it and not employees who uh, serve us a product. So small group leaders, let's always remember our people just like you and I. So if we happen to be missing a group for divorced women who are in their 50s, we can't say, hey, where's my group for divorced women with their 50s? Can't you just pay somebody to you know, whip one of those up for me? We don't want anyone to be left out, but we can only offer 
what the community has to offer. Maybe if that's you, maybe you would start that group like that. Uh, we can't make a group provide child care. We can't make a group uh, expand beyond what their living room would hold. We can't uh, make a group move from Thursday to Tuesday night because you're not available on Thursday night. We'll have to sacrifice, first of all, our desire for our brothers and sisters to serve us as if we are their customers. Remember, our goal here is to offer church family in a way that we don't accidentally hurt one another. So another key ingredient of that is we'll have to be willing to make sacrifices. We may need to thin our schedule down in order to make room for this family. We're going to need to find about two hours a week somewhere to have this in our life. Now, it's going to probably happen this year because it happens every year, but we literally have people tell us, I need a small group for Tuesday at 3 o'clock, or I need a small group for a specific day, and I have a one-hour time when it can happen. We're just not the size of church that can answer a demand like that. But I promise you, if you trade one night of Zumba for a small group to be loved and celebrated and uh, known, you'll be making a wise trade. We might also have to make financial sacrifices for child care. We may have to pay for a babysitter in order to bring for that stage of life this family into our life. Now, I was in a group once that had so many little kids in it, we just paid a teenager to come hang out in the basement. And it was a very young teenager, which means very cheap. Not the, top age teen not the age teenager you would leave your kids home alone with, but since they're just in the basement, uh, if there's blood or a diaper blowout, they can just run upstairs and get you. So uh, that worked out really well. What did that cost us? About the same as it would cost us to stop at Quick Trip or Starbucks on Friday morning. That trade was worth it to be known, loved, and celebrated. Remember, you want to be part of the body of Christ. You want to be known. You want to be loved. You want to be celebrated. So compare your other evening commitments to that, and I bet you'll find one that's worth the trade. Or compare your minor financial commitments to the week, and I bet you'll find one that's worth the trade. We're also going to have to be willing to move out of our comfort zone. Maybe you need to branch out and not just insist on a couples group that you attend as a couple. Maybe this season is the season for him to go to a men's group and you to go to a women's group and see how, what that's like. Maybe you'd benefit if you went ahead and went into a group that had people older than you and you could learn from their wisdom. Maybe it'd benefit you to be a part of a group with people younger than you so you could impart your wisdom and be reinvigorated and kind of get with the times, catch up on some slang, you know. Um, uh, it would reinvigorate some things that maybe have fallen asleep inside you. Maybe you'd want to be in a, a group with a variety of people. My Monday night group, uh, we have people in high school and we have people in their 60s and we have everything in between. And we learn so much from each other's perspective. God always reaches us, you know, when we're outside of our comfort zone. So take a chance. And also, we may need to try more than one group. I have people say, ah, don't tell me about small groups. I already tried one. It didn't work. Okay. The first kid you ever met in school, that became your best friend? Probably not. The first person you ever dated, that became your spouse? For some of you, but not very many, right? The first small group you're in may not become your family. Some small groups just aren't a great fit. You go through the whole season, you're very faithful. It just doesn't quite work. Some small groups are quite frankly disastrous. So uh, try another. That's what we'll always tell you. Try another, just like you do every other relationship in your life. But this is the most important thing. 
if we're going to offer family and be part of a family in a way that doesn't hurt each other, we're all going to have to be more considerate of those who have made time for us by showing up. When someone offers family to us, we can't ditch out on that for any and every reason that comes along. So I lead a small group, and my small group members show up faithfully. When they don't, they send a little text or a message or call someone to say uh, that they can't make it. Don't ever ghost someone. You know what ghosting someone is? When you like treat them like they're a ghost that you can't see. That means not only do you not show up for their small group when they call to see how you're doing, you don't return their call, you don't return their email, you don't return their text. They're a ghost or you're a ghost. Someone's ghosting. That's super, super rude. Don't ever do that to anyone in this community. It communicates not only am I not in your family, you don't even matter enough for me to respond to. That's not what you're trying to do. What you're probably doing is you're super ashamed that you didn't show up. So you're just kind of fading into the wallpaper. But uh, there's no reason to be ashamed. When my small group members text in, I had a really bad day at work. I just want to sit at home with some hot chocolate in my pajamas. I'm not leaving the house. We, have, we now know something about them. Their job's super stressful, and sometimes they want to sit at home with some candles in the bathtub. Or their kids are super challenging, and sometimes they just can't get out of the house because the kid is too, you know, having an episode. Now we know them, a little something more. We pray for them. Don't be ashamed. Be known. Don't be a ghost. You're not going to get a performance review for not showing up to a small group, unless you're super rude about it. So don't be rude. Everyone, we truly live in a wild kingdom. I mean, think about the things that are happening in this community week in and week out. Hateful people are becoming loving people. Stingy people are becoming generous people. Confused people are gaining clarity. Did you hear all the stories with that theme at the baptism last week? Victimized people are gaining confidence. Anxious people are finding peace. Sick people are being healed. It takes more than just preaching and great music and sacraments to achieve all that. That's coming out of family. That's not coming out of a herd. Family brings that. We came here to be part of a spiritual family, did we not? And now we know that family takes courage and sacrifice. And you, you all have courage, and you know how to sacrifice. So you can have family. This is the next step of your spiritual journey. Remember Randy's story. If you've been coming and you're feeling this going through the motions feel, you're feeling this whole feel, what's missing, what's missing. If you're not in a small group or redemptive community for the fall, this is what's missing. That is the next step on your spiritual journey to become part of a spiritual family. So you knew finally it was going to take courage or sacrifice to draw close to God. Here's your first baby step the courage and sacrifice it takes to have a spiritual family. So this is your next step, everyone. So if I was describing the five things a leader says, and you think, I could do that, I could be part of providing family, then you have a card, a long card, in your program this morning, and there's, a, I think, one section of it is for people who are interested in being a leader. You fill that out, and someone will contact you, and we'll get you some training here in August. You could be leading a small group of people by October. For others, you want to be a member of a small group, there's another section of the card for that. You fill that out. Our small group signups won't officially start for a couple of months, but by signing up today while you're thinking about it, right before that happens, someone will call and say, hey, a month back, 
you're interested in being in a small group, let's help you find a good one. So fill that out and hand that to an usher as you leave today. For those who are listening to this on podcast, there's an app with a form uh, to fill out on your, on your Lakeland app online. We will have small group sign-ups September 4th, 11th, and 18th. Most of the groups start during September and October. This is the next step of your spiritual journey if you haven't taken this step yet. Surrender, right? Look at the banners over there. Surrender, together, love. A lot of together has to do with small groups and redemptive communities. It's one of the big three around here. Amen. Okay, next week, Pastor Dan has prepared a message for us about the Apostle Paul and Paul's passion for ministry and for life and and how can we get passion for the work of Christ and passion for the love of God into our life. We're going to learn those lessons from the Apostle Paul next week. So come back and, uh, and, 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 and let's stoke the fires of our passion for Christ and for what he's calling us to do. Amen. Well, let's stand together. I'd like to say a word of blessing over you. May you have spiritual family. I pray for each and every one of you that you could know the love of being known and knowing someone else, of being loved and loving someone else, of being celebrated and celebrating someone else. May you know the life-changing power that Jesus prayed for when he said that they would be one as the Father and I are one. Take that next step and go in peace. Amen.